it. Well, we have some celebrations this morning, um, this, uh, coming to the end of the year. Uh, we like to, anything that we have, we have as a church, we have everything budgeted that comes in that as people bring in their tithes and their offerings. And so we had, uh, we had about 5% of our, our tithing, our giving, our missions giving left over. And so this week we just unloaded that into several ministries. And I want to share with you which ones we did that with. And so the Family Peace Project, every one of these ministries we gave $2,000 to this week. Family Peace Project, who they help. Uh, families that have come out of battered situations. It could be husbands, it could be wives, it could be children, uh, and, and, and all, all the, the whole family, uh, one or the other with kids and, and their wives and kids. Uh, Prosper the Generations, who is right here in our own church. Thank you guys for all that you do. Their, their, their heart is to really reach the millennials and these next generation and, and help them to kind of understand uh, the ways of living, and it's, now everything's just given to you, and it's not all about video games. Isn't that wonderful? That's a miracle-working ministry right there. Uh, Love in Action over here, they help, they help homeless people to get back into the groove of civilization. They, they help them with gardening. They also give them a place to wash their clothes throughout the week and stay and, and earn little things along the way. We've been helping people within Thrive, within our own church, people that have had needs, families, and, and such. Rebecca's Project. Rebecca's Project feeds uh, homeless and homebound, primarily homebound individuals who can't get out to feed or to eat. And so on the weekends, Rebecca's Project feeds them. And then Israel. Israel, we give 1% of everything that comes in every month to Israel. And so we also gave another $2,000 to Israel this week. Uh, by the way, Christmas turkeys right here. We need your help. We're giving away 57 Christmas uh, dinners, full, I'm not talking a full smoked turkey, and all the sides, we're giving those away through our social media, but you'll need to go in and click on social media on the advertisement and the promo on Facebook, and there's three steps to follow. Follow those three steps, and then show up here at 1 p.m. on Tuesday with your free smoked turkey and Christmas dinner, but if, if you don't need one, help somebody else find their way there because we need to get rid of these. There's about 40 left that we need to give away. I'm going to start smoking. Me and a few guys are going to start smoking these 57 turkeys tomorrow morning, and we're going to have to give them somewhere. So it would be great if you were the ones or your family members or loved ones are the ones getting those. Then Honduras, we have ministry partners in Gracias and Copan, which are two regions, two departments of Honduras. One is 61 Isaiah Ministries, and the other is the pastor we've been working with for many, many years. Grace House, they help women who are coming out of prison to kind of be restored and, and reformed back into civilization and prepare them and equip them as well. Uh, Kenya, there were some kids, that uh, families that had uh, typhoid, and they didn't have access to clean water. So we're working to help them recover from typhoid while also helping to provide clean water. Uh, the, the pastor of there that we're working with, he actually came a year ago when we were breaking ground here and walked the property with us and prayed over the property. And so uh, a great guy. Athens Christian Preparatory Academy, that was our home for the you know, two of the first years, the first two years that we were here after a, a brief time at Gibson's Pharmacy, thanks to the Koshans. Well, Athens Christian Preparatory Academy is where we have been meeting, and they, they blessed us mightily. 
So this week we gave them not only $2,000, but we also gave them the clubhouse, the kids' clubhouse that we used to use, which is a portable building, and it was about $7,500 to $8,000. So we gave them $10,000 basically this week. And then, yeah, this is great. Free Burma Rangers, Free Burma Rangers right there. There you go. And we actually have a family in, in our church that is moving to Burma, which used to be Myanmar, in ne the next August. And they help, this, this ministry helps the local ind indigenous people to really protect themselves, stay safe, and stay, stay away from, avoid the, the Burmese army, which is sad that they have to run from their own army uh, just because they're indigenous, indigenous people. So anyway, those are some of the ministries we've been able to help this week through all of your, your giving and your offerings. And so as a church, I just want you to know we are doing a lot of things, not only here, within the nation, but then into other countries. And so that's how it should be. That's the body of Christ right there. So thank you guys. Thank you guys. Well, we've been in a series called Fresh Wind, and the reason we came into this series is because there's, there's, 2020 has just been a tough year. It's been a challenging year for so many, and it's, it's re referenced to and similar to this place called the doldrums that uh, bands the equator, and it's a place where a, a north wind comes and a south wind comes, and they meet, and they go straight up into the air, and li there's literally no wind in this part of the world. Well, a sailor would avoid that knowing that if I get caught up in this place, there may not be any wind for weeks, and so I'm just, wa I'm just riding the tide hoping that a wind will pick up, pick my sails up, and move me into, uh, into some kind of flow of life in general. Well, that's how many of, many of you have been living. It's just been a tough year. It's been challenging. But this has happened over centuries and generations, time and time again, and God always brought a fresh wind. We just, we just read about the birth of Jesus and you know, the wise men coming and, and blessing them, but there was a season prior to Jesus coming that was a doldrum-like season. For, for 400 years, there had been a void of God's voice. He left, he left with some decrees. He left with some instructions. And he said, hey, here, here's what is not going on, and here's what I expect. Here's what my heart is for you. Here's where I can bless you. There have many, been many people come along and try to restore God's statutes and his commands and his decrees. But he was struggling. they were struggling because of the heart of mankind. So there was 400 years that had passed, and there comes a season within every believer's life where they begin to discover, wow, God's actually pursuing me, and he is pursuing you. There's a revelation that comes about, and you find out, looking backwards, wait, God has actually been talking to me. And we discover his speaking to us looks like many forms. Sometimes he's speaking to us through our current circumstances. Sometimes he's speaking to us through repeating circumstances. Sometimes he speaks to us through uh, dreams or uh, numbers. You'll start to see these numbers over and over and over again. What does this mean? Scriptures, verses, uh, words, images. He starts to try to reach out continually, creating repetition to get your attention. There may be painful situations. There may be blessings of situations, blessed situations. But he speaks to us through impressions, his still small voice. Some people hear him and experience him through nature and through, through creation as they get out. They, 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 he speaks through other people, and he speaks through his word. If we start to pay attention, you'll realize, wait a minute, 
God's actually been pursuing me. But maybe you've been going through a season to where I don't know if I'm hearing his voice. Or I've yet to discover the fact that he actually is pursuing me. I've yet to discover his voice at all. Because this happened is oftentimes God goes silent, waiting and watching to see if we will fulfill the last thing that he asked us to do. Or God goes silent because he's given us some decrees. He's given us a word, and he gives us space to develop within that word. And this is often the two, new, the two things that happens with various nuances within them because God is constantly trying to develop us and draw him closer to us. He's pursuing us, but he's asking for our part to respond back. And so this was taking place in the book of Malachi. The book of Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament before we see Jesus show up on the scene in, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Well, in Malachi, God is using a prophet to speak his word, his truth, because the priests had gone astray. God came and he's saying, hey, listen, uh, there's things that have been out of order, and I just want to put them in order so that I can actually bless you because it's going to have to happen my way because I have created universe and everything in, in, in my way creates order and it actually creates blessing. The book, of my, uh, the book of Malachi was preceded, uh, written in, the, in 430, 440 B.C., but it was preceded by Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra came back and he, he had wanted to restore the temple because, because they had gone, God's people had gone into captivity, into bondage, into slavery to the Babylonians 70 years before. And then Nehemiah comes to try to restore the wall of Jerusalem. His heart was broken because God's people shouldn't be so vulnerable. A broken down wall leaves you vulnerable to attacks from any enemy that you may have. So here they are trying to restore. They, found God, they, they both found favor from God and from pagans, from ungodly believers, unga ungodly individuals. It happened to be a king of Persia that Nehemiah found favor from. But God blessed it. God worked through this individual. Nehemiah and Ezra restored, where it made effort to restore four things. Godly relationships, generosity, serving one another, and justice. This was also the issue as people of God's people, before they went into bondage, into captivity, uh, to the Babylonians. This was a, a repeated way of life while their time in, during their time in captivity and coming out of their time of captivity. So Nehemiah and Ezra set all this in order, and then Nehemiah, at the very end of the book of Nehemiah, he says, listen, God, I set all your ordinances in place. Uh, I, I rebuilt the wall with the people. I got them serving again. I actually got them to be generous again. I even put the wood delivery on schedule so that they could bring in the first fruit offering. My hands are off of it. He goes, God, the very last word, he says, God, just remember me for what I tried to do. I tried. It's them. They don't want to listen. And so here he is. The issues, let's talk about this, the issues that Jesus came to correct. Because we love the story about Jesus. But we need to know, we need to understand what was going on, what was happening in the world in that day that Jesus came. When Jesus came, the story, the issues that Jesus came to correct. Number one is this. They were choosing government over God. And the priests and the Levites they had grown so complacent and so comfortable. They were beginning to use the, the unblemished sacrifice 
as a blessing of their own. They were, they were giving it to the governors. They were using it to sell. They were using it to barter. They were using the best of the best for themselves so that they could have high honor and prestige. And they were enjoying the places, the high places of comfort in, in association with the governors. And so God corrects them and he addresses them in such a way. Malachi 1, 8 says this, And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Because they were bringing in the leftover, the lamb that couldn't see, the lamb that was lame. And they were supposed to be bringing in the best of the best. And he says, well, why don't you give that to your governor? Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts. But now entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us while this is being done by your hands. Will he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts. He says, listen, if you, listen just, let's just reroute this thing. Let's just get back into alignment and doing it our way. Doing, it, doing the way that I have initially decreed that was set up before you. Stop bringing in the, the worst of the worst and what's blemished and taking the best to the governors. Well, that was tough because culture of that day wanted to have prestige, wanted to have high honor, wanted to be in a place of prominence. I wanted to look good. And this is exactly the issue of why the priests and the Levites were mishandling the word of God. And so God had to use a prophet to come in and speak his truth back into his people. Number two, they chose lust over love. They didn't understand how God viewed his offerings. Malachi 2, 13 says, And this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying, so he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. Yet you say, For what reason? Because the Lord has been witness, has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, but with whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. So they were coming in and just, oh, Lord, help me. Please, please forgive me. Lord, would you please have mercy on me while they were going home and treating their wives poorly? Hmm. Sounds interesting. God tells us later, though, in 1 Peter 3, 7, says that husbands' prayers are actually hindered because of the way they treat their wives. Wow. But... Number 15, but did he not make them one having a remnant of the spirit? And why one? He seeks godly offspring. He brought man and woman together to become one. And when man and woman are carrying the heart of God and living within their family his ways, the spirit is all over that. And godly offspring are a byproduct of that. Not to mention they had also mixed with pagan wives and they were blending cultures. They were living with, they were living with non-believers. Therefore, take heed to your spirit and let none, none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. What they had done is they had married a Jew. Jews had married Jews. And whenever they got upset with their wife, they decided to go and marry a pagan woman also or have relations with a pagan woman and God was saying listen you need to deal with your wife you need to have you need to have a good relationship with your wife your one wife the one I've given you well here's what else they did they chose evil over justice Malachi 3:17 you have we have wearied the Lord with your words yet you say in what way have we wearied him and that you say 
everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or where is the, where is the God of justice? And this is happening today. Believers are calling evil good. Believers are supporting riots, prejudice, reverse prejudice, reverse di di uh, discrimination, uh, electoral discrepancies. Believers are supporting evil and calling it good. Believers are advocates for injustice that is proposing its reversal of injustice, but it's using injustice for injustice, and that's never going to produce justice. Are you tracking with me? But God came to confront the injustice and to deliver his word through his people, his truth, his lifestyle, that in itself would stop the injustices of the world. I'm going to follow. You're going to track with me a little bit. Number four, they chose greed over generosity. They neglected their tithes and offerings, and they neglected all the needs of other people. The whole purpose of tithes and offerings was not only to bring in what belonged to God to return to Him, but it was to supply the needs of people, the poor, and other circumstances, other issues of God's, God's heart, God's purposes. To not only pay for the, the ways of the priest, they would have been fine if they would have just brought back into the Lord what, what, what belonged to Him. The poor would have been fine. But they wouldn't do it. They didn't trust that God could supply all of their needs. He says this, Malachi 3.8. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now. This is the one place God says you can test him. Test me. Try me. Try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And what was keeping them from bringing in the tithes and offerings was, I don't know if, I don't know if I'm going to have enough. The poverty mentality was controlling them. I don't know if I'm going to have it. I'm not, no, I'm, I don't know if I'm going to have prestige. If I return back to God, there may not be enough. And I, he says this in verse 11, And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to, to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And sadly, this is where many believers are today. They're struggling with the devourer in their finances. Struggling with the devourer in their relationships. Struggling with the devourer in their, in their families, their marriages. Struggling with the devourer in their businesses. Struggling with the devourer in their faith life. They're just struggling with the devourer, and this never should be. All because they're unwilling to return to God what belongs to Him. But it's all a trust test. The whole tithe, the whole purpose of a tithe is to test our faith to see if we will really believe that God will supply all of our needs. He says this, see if I will not open up the windows of heaven. He says, see if I will not pour out enough blessings on you that there will be more than enough for you to store. More than enough. You see, when God, turn, God begins to give us wisdom, he turns logic upside down and it just doesn't make sense to the logical man. That's why it's faith. 
That's why it was a test of faith. Number five, they claim that serving God is useless. Malachi 3, 13, 14 says, Your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? You have said, it is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinances? Even today, statistically, 20% of the church is serving and giving back to God. That's sad. Could you imagine if 20% of your body worked? I got a leg today. That legs are going to drag you around all over the place. Or maybe, it may be the 20% is just your head, and that might be the problem. You're just sitting there thinking and thinking and overthinking, and you can't even function because you're too busy thinking instead of doing and responding back to God in faith. That, you know what? Shoot, it's, it's, it's Friday, Saturday. I'm supposed to serve on Sunday. Mm-mm, not going to do it. What, it's useless. Why should I? What's in it for me? You start to see the culture continue. God's ways is still, still calling out. These are the things that Jesus came to confront. And this is what had taken place when God gave his last address 400 years before Christ entered the scene. And all the while, God starts it with Malachi 1.12. He says, listen, I have loved you. I have loved you, says the Lord. Yet you say, in what way have you loved us? What way have you loved us? And any time you start to feel like you need to argue with the Lord, you've already become proud and contentious. Your heart's already turned away from him. Anyone here, uh, what way have I loved you? Anyone here have kids? You got kids? I got kids. I got kids. Uh, you want to have kids that you try to bless them and you really do something that, man, my heart's just poured out for them. I really want to bless them and favor them. And yet... Their response back to you is, you haven't done anything for me. You don't love me. You never do a thing for me. How can you love me? Nobody? No, no parents have a, a child that acts like that? Well, listen. Yeah, thank you now. Now, this is how, exactly how adults are when we respond to God this same way that the people were responding to him 400 years before Christ came and even in culture, society today. Well, when have you loved me, God? What have you ever done for me, God? What's in it for me if I serve and I give back to you and I love others, God? This is the very thing that Jesus came to confront and change. The Joel, the prophet, this happened, this was going on when Jeremiah stood up before God's people went into exile to the Babylonians. He said, hey, what you guys are doing is outside of the ordinances and the statutes of what God has trained us and developed us and taught us to do that provides blessing. He's told us year after year, Jeremiah stood up, if we don't change our ways, we're going into bondage to the Babylonians for 70 years. They say, ah, ain't happening. What happens? They go into bondage, entrapped to Babylonia. That's why the temple was torn down. That's why the walls were torn down. That's why Ezra and Nehemiah had to show up on the scene 70 years later, 100 years later. Well, it also happened when the prophet Joel stood up. He's like, hey, this ain't good. What you're doing is not honoring God. Joel 2, 12 says this. Now, therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and with mourning. 
So rend your heart and not your garments. He's like, listen, I want you to come to me with a humble heart. Not coming in here with high prestige and looking good. It's not about how you look. Because I know the condition of your heart. He's like, rend your heart. Come humbly before me. Return to the Lord your God. For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and, and of great kindness. And he relents from doing harm. Verse 29 says, and so, I'm sorry, yes, verse 28 says, And so it shall be come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see vision. This is how you know if you're old or young. Right here. If you were wondering, am I getting old? Well, are you dreaming dreams? Yes. Are you seeing visions? Well, you're still young. So you get to tell your wife whenever she asks you, how are you feeling? Young. Saw a vision the other day. Verse 29. And also on my, man, my, man's, my men's servants and my maid servants. He's like, I, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to differentiate between anybody. Everybody's equal. I'm going to pour out my spirit on everybody who wants it. Everybody who wants to receive me, I will pour out my spirit. Even through Malachi. God responds and says, he will bless those who honor him. Look in Malachi 4, 5, and 6. It says this, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Verse 6, And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. What a blessing. And the hearts of the children to the fathers. That's parents. Lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. What a blessing that parents... And children will begin to mesh again. Because that's hard. That's difficult. But God says, hey, listen, I'm going to bring my prophet Elijah. And I'm going to bring the one. And I'm going to start turning hearts again. Through the course of God's word, he makes every effort to humanity to re reroute us into this path of blessing. And get away from our choices of destruction. So let's look at what love did. When Jesus shows up on the scene, what does love do? One, love brought us into a new kingdom. He, he brought us into it. He introduced us to a kingdom that is unlike the one that they were living in. Matthew eleven thirteen. Here's when, uh, you, you remember in Malachi, God says, I'm going to send you the prophet Elijah. Well, that prophet Elijah manifests himself as John the Baptist. Matthew eleven thirteen 13 says, for all the prophets... And the law, these are books of the Old Testament, by the way, prophesied until John. And if you are willing to receive, because not everybody is willing to receive. If you're willing to receive, it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the reality is, not everybody's going to hear. Not everybody wants to hear. And not everybody has the faith to hear. And so some of you are going to hear me today, and some of you are just here today. <laughs> you get the difference? Yeah, the ones who heard me, the ones who hear me today laughed. All right, well, I'm going to talk to you. There's two over here that hear me today. Matthew 11, 13, 15. Sorry, Matthew 3, 2. Here, this was the message that, that John the Baptist came to preach. He knew that his whole purpose was to introduce the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, to introduce Jesus Christ. His whole purpose was, all I'm here to do is to make straight the path for others to realize when Jesus is on the scene, 
It's obvious. There he is right there. And so John comes in saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But John knew, I'm out after this. And then here's what happened with Jesus in Matthew 13. Sorry, 3.16. When he had, let, he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending. Now we see the water baptism. And we see the Spirit baptism. Descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Matthew 4, 17 says this. From, the time, from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When Jesus entered the scene... He began to show us, hey, listen, don't worry about this world that's going on around you. Don't worry about the chaos. Don't worry about the government systems. Don't worry about all the cultural issues and struggles. You need to realize there's an entrance of a new kingdom, and this is the place that I want to introduce you to. For 40 years after Jesus resurrected, 40 days rather, after Jesus resurrected, he came back telling the disciples about the kingdom. When he came and after the Holy Spirit had descended upon him, he began to model out what this life looks like as one who is empowered by the Holy Spirit. What the kingdom actually looks like. Colossians 1.13 says this, says, For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his dear son. The kingdom... When we, get, when we get saved, when at the moment of salvation, we are brought out of the kingdom of darkness that surrounds us. And we're brought into the kingdom of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's Jesus Christ, the Son. In that moment. But then we have to discover what does it even look like to live in this kingdom? What does it feel like? What, what, what do I need to discern? What do I need to know? What do I need to model? What do I, what do I need to, to discover as I'm living this kingdom life? So no longer will we have the, the need to depend upon earthly kingdoms. No longer will we have the need to follow the ways of culture. Christ came and modeled a yielded life to, the, to and blessed by God so that we would know how to live out this kingdom lifestyle. Let me say it this way. Jesus came as a fully as a man, laying down his deity, baptized, empowered by the Holy Spirit, so that we would know how to do the very same. We lay down our lives, our pride, our seeming own strength, our will, our ways, our methods of doing life, for the sake of being empowered by the Holy Spirit, so that we can live and model a life for the next generation that is completely kingdom empowered. I can see the I can see the disconnect. Logic and faith are at war right now. And there's a transition of the understanding. There's a transition of well how I see this world that what I'm not of. I'm actually called to live a world, live a life from a kingdom that I can't see. And that's why Jesus enters in. He says, hey, the kingdom is actually at hand. He's there to bridge the divide between this earthly kingdom and this spiritual kingdom. 
Look at this. Isaiah 9, 6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. There's a new government coming to town. And the government will be upon his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And this is why we celebrate Christmas right here. Because a new kingdom entered into this earthly world and began to show us, introduce us how to, how to live an empowered life for his kingdom. And the government sits on his shoulders. And the Prince of Peace flipped the script on who the priests would now be. Remember, God had to confront through Malachi the priests, the priests and the Levites, they were mishandling the sacrifices, they were mishandling what belonged in the temple, they were mishandling what belonged to God. And then Jesus comes in, he says, hey, there's a different kingdom. There's a new kingdom, and, it, and it's, it's lived a different way. And through, through Peter, in 1 Peter 2, 9, he says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. He says, hey, you're the priests. You're the priests. You're the priests. It's not the man in the temple. I'm not the priest. I'm here to equip you for the work of the ministry so you can do your priestly duties, as Nacho Libre would say. You're the priest. So how are you handling the sacrifices? How are you handling what belongs to God? How are you stewarding what's his? Because that's the wrong that Jesus came to correct. And empower you to be the priest. Love brought us into a new kingdom. And number two, love restored families and broken hearts. Malachi 4, 6 says this, And he will turn the hearts to the, of the fathers to the children, and the, children, the hearts of the children to their fathers. Under God's leadership, families provide the safest and most functional environment for us to develop within. Family structures, our, our greatest experiences happened within our family structures. And since the beginning of time, since Adam and Eve, Satan has been after family structures. And unfortunately, because of this, some of our greatest pains and our greatest struggles and our greatest trials happened within the confines of our family structures. You see it? It's been under attack. And remember, Jesus has a confrontation over this with the religious people. I'm going to breeze through it. I'm going to give you some the, the, the bullet points. The, the Pharisees come up to Jesus and say, is it right for, for me to, to, to divorce my, my wife for any reason or a wife for any reason? He said, no, hey, listen, you need to know that when God created them, he created man and woman, and he, when he brings two together, he brings them together to be one. And he says, Jesus confronts him and says, listen, what God has brought together, let no man separate. He says, well, they say, well, why did... Why did Moses allow us to, to provide a certificate of divorce and put her away? He says, well, it was because of the hardness of your heart. The hardness of your heart. If you go to verse 8 of Matthew 19 and 19, 8, it says this. Because of the hardness of your heart, permitted, he permitted you to divorce your wives. What happened? Remember, Ephesians says this. Don't, let, don't go to bed on your anger. Don't go to bed on your unforgiveness. What happens is you get that demonic counsel. All night long, you're hearing the voice of Satan tell you how bad your spouse is. 
and you wake up and you think you've been enlightened and there you are having coffee. It's like, yep, I knew she was from the devil. I think I'm going to go get a divorce today. Because time after time, night after night, not being obedient to the word of God, the hardness of your heart set in day after day after day after day. And you thought, all I can do is now put him or her away. Matthew 19.10 says, his disciples said to him, hey, listen, if this is the case, if such the case of, of a man with a, his wife, it's just better not to marry. And many said, Amen. John 15, 13, though, says, Greater love than this, no one had than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. Now, this is talking about Jesus laying down his life for us, but it's also referring to us laying down our lives for others. That's that dying to self. But in, in the confines of a marriage, our, our wives, our spouse, our husbands should be our best friends. They, we should be laying down our lives for the other. In, in a marriage, you learn new ways to die. You, you come home to a new spouse. You come home to a new situation. You come home and it's like, whoo, you find out where you're not dead yet. And you learn, I got to die to that right there. You come home, husbands, you've been working all day. Wife's been at home all day with the kids. And as soon as you get to that door, they're throwing a child in your hand and say, here you go, your turn. And your response is, no, you don't. Here you go, your turn. Or, hey, let's go put it in its room, and I'm going to go have a break. Let's go have a break together. No? You die to self. That's why I just, just fall over and die. And likewise, wives, hey, your husband's had a bad day. He's had a rough day, and he's coming home to, to that as well. Hey, let me give him 30 minutes to just kind of come down and find a place and home. Let me die to it myself a little bit. I've been with him all day. I can be with him 30 more minutes. Let me die. How can we die to ourselves so we can lend life and give life away to the other? That's why, that's why it says in Ephesians 5.22, it says this, uh, husband, or Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Listen, math problem. Wives, when you submit to your husband, you're not really submitting to them. You're submitting to the Lord. And wives... If I can't submit to my husband, then I'm not submitted to the Lord. That might be why I have some problems in my, my marriage. That might be why I keep taking stuff to my husband that doesn't belong to him, and I really need to take it to the Lord, but I'm not submitted to the Lord so I can take it to him. Come on. I know Christmas is going to be different this year now. But, but husbands, you're not off the... You're not off the look at verse 25. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church... And gave himself up for her. Guys, we got to give some stuff up. We got to model how Christ loves his church. And so, in the midst of this, in the meshing of all this, here's two people dying to themselves so that they can live to Christ and so they can live this kingdom life. That doesn't mean they don't have, have, uh, have a word, they don't have, they don't have a say in the marriage. That doesn't mean that they both don't have equality. In fact, it's the very, very opposite. They're both, we're both equal. We both have a word to say. We both have input. But God has given us a dynamic in which we are to live to bring the kingdom into our homes so that our children have a place to thrive. And he addresses the children 
Look at this in Ephesians 6, 1 and 3. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Verse 2, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Verse 3, That it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. Anybody ever had a daddy? I brought you into this world, and I'll take you out of this world, right? <laughs> I see fingers going everywhere. Hey, you be obedient, you get to live a little longer today. But this is, a, this is one of the Ten Commandments. It's not the law, it's really under grace. Not only do you, you live a healthy life, but you're actually able to be strengthened for the blessings that are to come when you become an adult. And it's hard to understand. It's hard to understand it's the same way we are with our Heavenly Father, though. He's sitting there saying, hey, there's a long life as you're following my ways. You're going to struggle outside of my ways, though. It's going to be difficult, but I'll let you have it. And this was, and here's the reality. If husbands love their wives this way and wives submit to their husbands this way, there will be unity in the home, and the children will have the, God's ways modeled in front of them, which create a house of obedience and order. Listen, if mama's not going to honor daddy, kids aren't going to honor daddy. And if daddy's not going to honor mama, kids aren't going to honor mama. And you can't blame the kids because of their disobedience whenever your family structure is all out of order and out of sync with what God's word says. Can I hear an amen all over this place? Because I know you, what your struggles are and I know where you struggle. And I'm trying to realign you to, so that you don't have to deal with these struggles. Come on. Parent, let's look what the world even says about this situation. Parent-child connectedness. I'm going to read it, is associated with a wide range of health indicators. Close, positive family fa relationships that feature open communication help young people stay healthy and avoid substance use and violent behavior. This is the world understanding this. I can tell you they're just reciting scripture. Here's, here's what happens with families have frequent meals together, husband, wife included. Frequent family meals are associated with higher self-esteem, higher positive academic outcomes, as well as decreased depression, alcohol and substance abuse, so suicidal thoughts, and violent behaviors. We can change the next generation if we just honor our, our husband and wife dynamic within our home. We can't, we can't start with the kids if we're not starting with ourselves. They're just going to model what they see. What we should do, though, is see the fruit of our children's lives and let it begin to dictate and make changes according, for our, our marriage according to the Word of God. It's a challenging word. But a humble heart will say, you know what, I hear it. I want change. I want the best for, my, for the next generation. I want the best for my kids. How would it be if inside of homes of believers, God's ways were honored and sought after and lived out? I'll say again, a household, in a household that's led God's way, children are able to thrive. And in fact, until a husband and wife are able to work together in unity God's way, ministry just doesn't work. But when a husband and wife start to come together and they're flowing in unity God's way, ministry just becomes a byproduct because they don't know any difference. And everywhere they go, they just minister life to others. Let's look at another issue Jesus came to correct. Remember, he brought us into a new kingdom, 
He restored families and broken hearts. And number three, love unveiled generosity. John 3, 16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave. And man, he didn't just give a little. He gave everything. He gave his son. He gave his son, his son, only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Love, as, as defined, as defined ha, has been stolen, twisted, manipulated, deceived. It has been taken into and by this world, the culture, and then it has been brought back to believers for us to take it, arrest it, and bring it back into truth. Let me tell you, culture has deceived what, li- what love really is. Love belongs to believers. Let me say it this way. God is love, and when believers start to operate from love, we will change the world around us. But we have to first receive his love and understand his love and put his love into every situation of life so that we can live it out into every circumstance. For six weeks in the beginning of this year, I asked one question, and it was this. What does love require of me? And in every circumstance, in every situation where you want to lose it on somebody or slap them or choke them out, in the middle of that, and you pause for just a split second and say, what does love require of me? And then you're confronted with what God says or opposed by what you and your heart and what your decisions want to be. And in that moment, you get to see what you really believe. Are you hearing me? God's people should represent the greatest alternative to to today's world. The world should be flocking to the church by the way that believers truly live out his word. We, we, We should be so refreshing. Everywhere we go, we should just be releasing and giving out refreshment of love. People should be just flocking to us for answers of life because of how we're modeling the kingdom of God. And generosity is a normal part of life when it comes to Christ. When Jesus was born, we saw that the, the wise men came in bringing gold and, and myrrh and, and frankincense. And when Abraham saw the king of peace, we talked about this three weeks ago, when he saw the king of peace who was also a priest in the middle of the desert, by faith, our father of faith, Abraham, from which the seed we come, he came, he gave to Melchizedek, which is believed to be a shadow type of Jesus himself showing up in the Old Testament. Scripture says he has no beginning of days, he has no end of days, he has no genealogy, he has no mommy, he has no daddy, he just is. And by faith he gives. Remember the tithe is a faith act. It's modeled by our father of faith, Abraham. The tithe was always meant to test our faith. And it's way more than just a financial thing. That's why we we never even talk about, we never even pass the plate. You've never seen us pass the plate. You never will see us pass the plate in here. Anybody been to a church where about after the third song, they start passing the plate? And you're like, there's no snacks on here. Well, it kind of makes me think that's because nobody's bringing in the tithes because there's supposed to be food plenty, right? I guess it's a, I guess it's a tithless house because there's no snacks on the plate. But I guess the culture actually is where people are bringing in their they're bringing in the tithe and putting it on the plate. Well, we, never, we don't take the tithe. No, mature believers be, bring in the tithe. And you never have to demand someone to do something. You never have to pass a plate in front of them and say, hey, you're going to give? 
Can I tell you all a funny story? My grandfather was uh, in his church. He, he, he was uh, in one of those churches, let me say. And an old man that sat beside him, he, he kept pulling in his pocket. He hated when the plate would get passed. I mean, he hated it. And he was a, a man of the church. Every time he'd pull, out his, pull his hand out of his pocket, he wanted to give like a dollar or two. He kept pulling out a 50, put it back in, pull out a 50, pull it back in, pull out a 50. He goes, oh, hell. <laughs> True story. Oh, man. I grew up near Longview, and uh, there's this place called Laterno University in Longview. And uh, it, it was started and began as in representation of Robert G. Laterno. Well, in the 30s, uh, he, was a, he, he only had an education of a seventh grade, but he, ter- he, he learned, he taught himself, self-learned, self-taught uh, engineering. And he, was, he, he had a, a huge company that be- be- began to develop during the World War and he sold the U.S. Army 70% of their earth-moving machinery. Well, in 1935, he and his wife, Evelyn, began to challenge God, giving 10%, 20%, 30%. And in 19, by the end of 1935, they were given 90% of their income away to God and living off the 10%. And here's what, here's what he said at the end of his days. He said, it's not how much of my money I give to God but how much of God's money I keep for myself. Now, the world could never see that. Logic could never understand that. But faith gets it. You hear me if you hear me. But that's just a part of what generosity even means. Jesus always took things to the next level. Hear me on this in the Ten Commandments. He says, if you kill, thou shalt not kill your brother. Thou shalt not kill. And Jesus says this, if you even think negatively against your brother in your heart, you've committed murder. Dang, Jesus. And that's on everything. You even think about a woman in your heart, you've committed adultery. Dang. Luke eleven forty two. But woe to you Pharisees, you, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and pass by justice and love of God. He's like, listen, you, you ought to tithe. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Listen, yeah, tithe, you should be. That's a, that's a faith act. But you're putting yourself under religion and the law if you're not also giving away justice. Remember, There was injustice in the world. They were calling evil good and love of God. You should be generous. And this is what what those of by faith, not under the law, as they're doing this, as we're doing this, God turns our heart and we start to see the injustice of the world and we desire to wrong, to right the wrongs that are in this world and bring justice where there is injustice. A heart begins to change because we realize we're not from this kingdom, we're from a different kingdom. And so as we go, we're delivering the love of God. And many times you see Jesus healing. You see him, you see him uh, heal the woman with the, the, the issue of blood. You see him heal the lame, the blind. You see him heal those who had unclean spirits, the demoniacs. Jesus was ministering love everywhere he went. He was modeling the kingdom life. And he was saying, hey, this is the life I desire for you to model and live out for the next generation to come. Number four, love served from a grateful heart. Love served, served from a grateful heart. Following the 400 years of silence, after God grew exasperated over the lifestyle of his priests and his people, he sent his son to model 
how we should live and serve one another. And, the, and here were the disciples talking about how great I am and who's the greatest, who's going to be the best. Uh, my stepbrother's in here today, and we used to talk about growing up. Well, who's the best at football? Well, who's the best at baseball? Well, who's the best at Tecmo Bowl? Who's the best at Madden 200, Madden 90, whatever it was? It was always a contest, and that's how the disciples were. Who's the best? Who's the greatest? And Jesus says, hey, let me tell you who the best is. If you'll work with me, Matthew 23, 11, But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. Gosh, that's tough. Because I want to be served. When we start modeling the kingdom, you know what? It doesn't matter if I feel like I'm getting anything out of this deal or not. I'm going to serve the Lord because he's good. I don't need somebody to say, hey, high five, you did a great job today. No, the Lord blesses me. I know I did a great job because I just showed up and I gave my heart. See the right that Jesus came to bring in a world that was hard-hearted, not generous, wouldn't serve, wouldn't take care of its family. It wouldn't handle what belonged to God well at all. Matthew 28, 18, it says, And Jesus came and spoke with, with them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go as you go. As you go to Walmart, as you go to Brookshire's, as you go throughout your business life, make disciples. Give love away of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Give love away, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. But we got to start observing things that he's commanded. If we're going to teach others to observe. Because again, the world should be flocking to us for answers. But if we're not observing, how will we have the answers to teach? And Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit to strengthen and empower us if we would be so willing to receive him. In Luke 24, 49, it says, And behold right before Jesus goes to the cross. I'm sorry, after he has gone to the cross. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Acts 1.8. But you shall receive the power when you receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me. In the kingdom, it's all about receiving. And faith is all about receiving. I don't have to act it. I don't have to build myself up. I don't have to respond in a place of arrogance and pride. It's me lowering myself, humbling myself as a grateful servant, and receiving everything that God has for me. And this is Jesus' desire. And as he left the example walking love and living out love here on earth that those who believe in him would live a life of love through giving through serving one another through creating a safe place for their kids to grow up and thrive within a home that would honor God's ways his manners his methods his statutes and having men and women who are submitted to his leadership first in their marriage.
And that's the assignment that Jesus left you and I with. In the same way that God left for 400 years his voice quiet after giving direction to his people through Malachi, Jesus left this same decree for you and I and says, hey, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to leave you the Holy Spirit if you'll receive him. Because many of us need the Holy Spirit to teach us how to observe his ways so that we too can go and teach those ways. So I want to pray for you. I want to pray for two things. So if you will, because it's the the season of giving and receiving, if you'll just open your hands out in front of you as if you're going to receive that gift. In my family, maybe it's a little bit like yours. We'll go around and, and one by one, there'll be somebody facilitating the gift giving. And somebody's name will be called out, you're next. And the facilitator would go to the tree and get the gift and bring it over to so-and-so. And here it is. Here's the next one. And during that time, you're waiting and longing with expectation. I wonder what's in that box. I wonder what's wrapped in that present. I wonder what's in that gift bag. And there's this eager anticipation of discovering what's inside for you. And in that same way, as your hands are open to receive, I'm going to ask you to be eager with expectation for what the Lord has to gift you today. So, Father, you know the hearts of every individual in here. And thank you that you sent your Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us into all truth. And so, Holy Spirit, right now, as you introduced all of us to our Savior, would you introduce those who have yet to come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior to him? And his question is, will you receive this gift? Salvation is grace. It's by grace. You can't earn it. You can't even give enough for it can't purchase it, can't do enough works. It's either received or rejected. And just thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. And Jesus says that the Father will send the Holy Spirit in my name. So Holy Spirit, for all who are desiring with that eager expectation to know what's inside of that wrapped package, would you just fall on them today and baptize them in your spirit? Just ask everyone to repeat this with me. Holy Spirit, we thank you. I receive. I desire everything that the Father has for me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.